that even as we open up your word, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us, Lord. Help our hearts and minds receive the truths that are contained therein. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Uh, please be seated. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It's been a difficult week for us as a church family. As we bid farewell to our dear brother Ravi, the suddenness of his death, you know, just a week ago, uh, hit all of us quite hard. Those of us on the church staff were really quite um, shocked for obvious reasons, but it was um, hard because we also had to then conduct his uh, funeral services. And um, as a result, I wasn't really scheduled to preach this weekend, but I felt it's right that I should uh, speak. And as I was preparing, I was wondering what passages should I use? And as I looked at the lectionary readings, which were read this morning, I felt, you know, there's such an appropriateness uh, to these readings. And so I want to uh, spend some time this morning just reflecting on this passage in Revelation 21, but also um, with some references to both the gospel reading in John chapter 13 and also um, you know, what happened with Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. You know, it's um, never easy when we encounter loss. And I think it's, it's been quite um, a difficult, not just week, but month, because as you know, my father also passed away a, a, a month before, on the 8th of April, you know, Ravi went home to be with the Lord on the 8th of May, even though he was finally declared dead in the early morning hours of 9th. And it's, it's coming so soon, one after the other, has caused me to really reflect a lot on life here and now and the life that is to come. And I think it's always important for us to keep our eyes on the prize, keep our eyes on our destiny, keep our eyes on what is truly important and what lasts if we are to live uh, um, life with purpose, with a sense of value, and with a sense of perspective. Let's look quickly at this passage and um, unpack it a little bit for us. It starts in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And it's clear that, you know, um, the book of Revelation was written about the last things. God uh, appeared to John, the apostle, the last of the apostles who was still alive. All his uh, brothers had already lost their lives as um, martyrs for the faith. And John alone wasn't martyred, although I would argue being in exile on the Isle of Patmos, which is a, you know, a barren rock, is as good as being martyred, being cut off from the community. And um, I was sharing yesterday uh, uh, with 
um, the, the congregation that gathered at our Saturday service, contemporary service, you know, Revelation is not always an easy uh, book to understand, but it's always uh, giving us a perspective on life and especially um, end things. You know, the things of how the world will end and what uh, awaits us. And I've always puzzled my, uh, been puzzled uh, by this first verse here in Revelation 21 because, you know, he says at the end there that even as the heaven and earth, the first heaven and the first earth passes away, he makes this specific remark, and the sea was no more. <laughs> Why I was puzzled by it is because some of you already know, because I talk about it enough in, in sermons, one of my favorite ways to take a vacation is to take a beach vacation. And yeah, I'm thinking, you know, what? Heaven, no beach. <laughs> you know, there's no sea, right? I'd, I'd love to walk on sandy beaches, even if it's just to, you know, put, dip your f- feet into the, the, the water. And, uh, you know, is that what he's talking about? But actually, no, because if you understand uh, the book of Revelation, it's full of imagery. And the imagery conveys uh, spiritual truths. That's the nature of apocalyptic literature of which uh, Revelation is an example. And if you look carefully in the book of Revelation, but also even in the Old Testament, the sea is a metaphor or a, a, a symbol of the origin of cosmic evil. Greg Beale in his uh, um, commentary on Revelation says, the evil nuance of the sea metaphorically represents the entire range of afflictions that formerly threatened God's people in the old world. And so it's an assurance from God to say, you know, this old order of things, the evil that you have been facing in this world has passed away. It is no more. And if that was not enough, he goes on actually in verse 4 to point out in great detail, he says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That you, you, you see uh, this um, a word of assurance, as I said, you know, the book of Revelation was uh, a book that was revealed to John. In, in, in understanding biblical literature, it's always helpful to know who the authors were writing to, what that uh, original past, uh, um, book was, addre- who it was addressed to. And in John's case, it was addressed, obviously, to the Christians who were facing severe persecution. They were facing severe times of trial and tests of their faith. To be a Christian in John's day was an automatic death sentence, right? All the other disciples had already been martyred, and he had been put into exile for one reason or another. And, you know, if you were living in those circumstances and under those conditions, it's very easy for us to, if we place ourselves in that situation, to cry out, God, where are you? Lord, how long will we suffer? God, how do we face these difficult times? And so, you know, as it comes to the culmination, this is the second last chapter of the book. He gives us a glimpse of what happens in the end, and he points out that the old order of things will not last forever. In fact, this is also Paul, the Apostle Paul's witness. If you read Romans chapter 8, 
right? He talks about this as well. In Romans 8 verse 18, he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing uh, uh, of the sons of God. Why? Because creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we, eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul also points out, you know, that here on earth, creation is subjected to futility. That there is a bondage to corruption in this order in which we live. That things don't work the way God had intended for it to work. Because sin entered into the world for obvious reasons. And it says that the whole of creation groans as with the pain of childbirth. And not just creation, but we groan. We struggle. And I, I love the fact that he likens it to childbirth because those of us who are parents will know, you know, the mother's more uh, viscerally than the fathers. But, you know, guys also, if, if you are there in, in the delivery suite, you, you understand it can be excruciating. I mean, with modern medicine, uh, if you have an epidural, you have uh, people like our brother Daniel Pang to treat you with anesthesia, you know, it, it makes it a little bit easier. But obviously, when Paul was speaking, that was not available. And going through childbirth can be horrendous. It can be painful. I sometimes wonder, why do people want to get uh, have children after they've gone through childbirth one time? And, you know, there are people who can have multiple kids. Because I think, you know, the joy of having the child after almost eradicates all the pain that comes before. Well, there's a different kind of pain being parents, right? <laughs> but you know what I mean. When you see the child smile at you, when you watch them growing up, they are such a joy, they are such a gift from God. And I think this metaphor that Paul uses is exactly right. That as painful as life here is, now, it's nothing more than just birth pangs. Painful. But the glory that is revealed after wipes all that pain away. Almost forget about it. That's why many of us have multiple kids and are willing to have multiple children despite all these uh, pains. And that's why Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians verse 5 uh, chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That we rejoice in the fact that, you know, God is in the process of not just renovating us, but transforming us from glory to glory, right? This is the context in which Paul was speaking about the fact that we are all now new creations. 
As uh, we were preparing for this, I had a word with Moses and the worship team, and I had asked them, you know, if we could use the song today, um, Blessed Be Your Name, which is what we started uh, with in our worship. And for the first time, I became aware that there are some um, quarters of the Christian church that don't like this song, or they feel the song is, you know, faulty in its theology. And in particular, I believe it's where um, it's quoting from the book of Job and Job's words after he had encountered tragedy in his life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And they, they struggle with that uh, particular line because you know they can't understand how God can take away. Everyone understands God gives. He gives the Father of lights who gives good gifts, right? We see that in Scripture time and time again. And so, you know, they, they struggle with this understanding that God can also take away. And I think it's part of a stream of theology. Forgive me, I, I was apologizing to yesterday, uh, the, the congregation. You know, I'm a theologian, trained as a theologian, so sometimes I tend to use words which are very big. <laughs> but I don't mind using it because I don't know of any other way to capture it. They suffer from a problem in theology, which is something called an over-realized eschatology. An over-realized eschatology. Eschatology is about the end things, all right? the study of the things that come in the end. When you over-realize eschatology, you're trying to compress you know, what Scripture talks about is meant for the end times, and you bring it fast forward into the present. What do I mean by that? That sometimes, you know, we know this. We claim healing, and we believe that God heals utterly. But when we pray for healing, you and I know there are times healing doesn't seem to come in the here and now. How many times have we prayed for people, you know, and yet they still end up passing on? And does that mean God does not heal? No, by no means. I have seen it with my own eyes. I've seen people healed miraculously from cancer, from all kinds of sicknesses and diseases, big and small. But the reality is this. Even if we are healed here and now, it's always a partial healing. It's always an imperfect healing. I mean, I've known people who've been healed from cancer and in the end, you know, die of something else. Because we live in this state where creation groans and is subjected to futility and is, you know, corrupt in that sense. And the understanding of God's promise for healing is yes and amen, but it's ultimately meant for the eschaton, the end. That God will fulfill everything in the end. And, you know, I subject to you that people struggle with that uh, uh, line in that song, God, He gives and takes away, because they can't imagine that what comes after can be anything better than what we live with here and now. That, you know, you become so enamored that we want to cling to the present. And I know this because questions have been asked, and I know some of you have asked. Why did God take Ravi home? As you know, he gave his life to serve the Lord this last year. In fact, it was almost a year to the day. Because he started work officially, although he began much earlier, he started work officially on 1st of May 2021. 
And we know that Ravi was a person who served the Lord wholeheartedly, even when he wasn't on staff or being paid. <laughs> you know, I, I knew him since uh, 2016, and it, it was such a joy to get to know him in this short space of time. You know, he was always a, a brother I could rely upon and I could look to. And the question, you know, when we ask that question, it's often this question, you know, he didn't deserve this. He didn't deserve to be taken home. But I think, you know, that sort of perspective uh, is because we have a um, failure to comprehend or understand what our eternal destiny is. More than a month ago, when my dad was not doing well, I had postponed my trip to Ho Chi Minh City, most of you know, because the doctors had begun uh, talking to us to prepare us. And I remember in particular the day I got that news was the day uh, my, my son, who was doing his internship with Awakened Generation, a worship ministry, uh, had gone for a, um, a revival night, which is a worship night in uh, one of the local Methodist churches. And you, he came back, he was so elated because it was the very day in which the um, government had announced you can now start singing even uh, as long as you wear your mask. And so you can imagine being in that place, you know, having a glorious time of worship, being able to express yourself uh, uh, verbally after these long two years of uh, pandemic where we haven't been able to sing in church. And, you know, as he came home, I told him the condition of my dad. He was like sitting there stunned, unable to process it, <laughs> wondering, you know, this, this, on the one hand, this spiritual high, on the other hand, being brought so low with the reality of, you know, uh, my father's condition. And the Lord just gave me an insight and I shared it with him. We don't want to see Ye Ye go. Obviously, we love him. We want to spend time with him. But I say, this moment that you spend this evening in worship, it's just a fraction of what Ye Ye will enjoy in heaven. It was glorious because we could sing for the first time and, you know, we're transported almost into the heavens. If you've ever been in a time of worship that's, you know, well uh, run and you, the Spirit of God is there and the people are, are wholeheartedly giving themselves in worship, you know how amazing that experience can be. But can you imagine worshipping before the throne of God, seeing Him with your eyes, being in His presence, experiencing His love, First hand. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to see that God's not cruel in taking Ravi home. That He is enjoying the presence of the Lord right here, right now. You know, someone had shared, I think, during one of his wakes, that song which we used to sing as a chorus in the time when we were young people. Ravi probably sang it in the youth fellowship here in Good Shepherd, and many of you, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Yeah, I can't remember all the words. I uh, googled it, yeah. Somewhere beyond the blue. Angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 
And God wasn't being cruel. God was being merciful, I believe. Now, mind you this, I have no answers. I don't want to be trite about trying to explain to you God's plans and His purposes because His ways are higher than our ways. You know, I, I, I will miss Him terribly on so many levels, not just because of the kind of guy He was and, and how much I enjoyed uh, um, His service in the church. He was a person I could rely on. On so many levels, I was, I was talking to my wife. I said, I can't see finding a replacement for Ravi. I don't know anyone has that unique set of gifts in the one person. So I am not trying to uh, um, explain God's reasons for him. But I'm trying to point out that we don't know and we don't understand fully his reasons. But we need to know and trust what he does say about himself and about his word. I know that leaves us the question then for those of us who are left behind, those who loved him dearly, those for whom there's deep pain in our hearts. And I want to continue then in the rest of the passage. I've only just expounded, you know, the first bit. But if we were to continue, we see as Scripture continues to open up for us in verse 2 of Revelation 21, it says, And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her. And I think, you know, because it's describing this new Jerusalem as a bride adorned for her, I'm pretty sure that what John was seeing was the church of God. The people of God, the church is called the bride of Christ. You know, and and the next verse actually makes it even clearer because he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. That heaven is a place that not only are we there in the presence of God where there is joy forevermore, where there's this uh, wonderful um, sense of fulfillment and understanding who we are and what we were made for and who we were made for, in that sense, the, 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 the object, the true object of worship that all of us are destined for. But we will also be with His people. That we will be gathered together in His presence. That Ravi is there with my dad. And with King Yu. With Michael. Kristen. Florence, and I know I'm going to miss a whole bunch of people, so forgive me because, you know, I was supposed to write it down, but I forgot to do it this morning. Yesterday, someone, you know, pointed out to me all the people I missed. (laughs) But you know exactly what I mean, don't you? And our loved ones who have died in Christ, who I, I don't know, but you know, the people that you miss, you know, that's why heaven's such a wonderful place because we are finally reunited with everyone. Outside of this realm of sin, of this cosmic world order that's in chaos, which, you know, like it or not, if we are honest, some of our relationships with our loved ones, sometimes I love hate. <laughs> we love them a lot, but sometimes we can't stand them also. <laughs> because we live under the order of sin. But when you know, the old has passed away and the new has come. 
when sin is no more and evil has been done away with entirely, when we are reunited with them, you no longer will we have that pain, that struggle, that relational uh, issues that we've all gone through here on earth. It's a place in which we look to and we long for and we should long for. I bring us back to Romans 8, that passage, because Paul then continues, he says in verses 24 and 25, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's why these readings are here, because we are in the church calendar in the season of Easter. And Easter is a time in which we are taught to hope and place our hope in Christ. That the hope of the resurrection is what awaits each and every one of us who are in Christ, who are in relationship with Him. And, you know, because we have such a strong uh, um, legacy of the Boys' Brigade, I, I can't help but go to this <laughs> scripture in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That ultimately, the writer of Hebrews was talking about how Jesus was the great high priest, the greatest high priest, the best high priest, because the high priest always stood in the gap between God and us as uh, the people of God. And now with Jesus, the high priest, having gone before us, he intercedes for us. And that is the hope to which we cling, the hope of the resurrection, that is yes and amen in him. But where does this ultimately then leave us? How do we respond to this? The gospel reading was a passage taken out of that final night that Jesus lived and walked this earth before he went to the cross. And you know the story well in John 13, that they were gathered in an upper room, and it was when the, the Last Supper was celebrated, you know, which has now become the Lord's Supper for us, which we will be celebrating in a moment. But John's Gospel has an account of that evening, which you know, none of the other Gospels talk about, but I think it's so very powerful. The fact that you know, as they were gathering for that meal, and the custom was they would recline at table, and because that's the way they would eat, you know, someone's smelly feet will end up somewhere near where you are <laughs> about to eat. And it's not very appetizing, right, if you think about that thought. So the custom would be you would get the slave or the lowest member of the household to wash everyone's feet so that we can have a, an enjoyable meal without having to deal with, um, um, you know, the dirt and grime that pick, we pick up along the way. But certainly what uh, happened shocked them and turned everything on their head. You know, I can imagine what was happening in the upper room. You know that already this controversy was raging amongst the disciples, right? They were arguing who would be first in the kingdom. When Jesus comes into his kingdom, can I sit on his right and his left? You know, and they were jockeying for power. They were angry with the, 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 the brothers, uh, James and John, for asking for that privilege. Because why? They wanted it for themselves. <laughs> That's why they're angry, right? And um, so I can imagine no one, you know, you know how people are, act blur. Oh, you know, 
wait for someone else to do it. <laughs> but Jesus didn't wait. He took off his outer garment. He wrapped the towel around himself, got a basin of water, and he began to wash, lovingly wash the feet of the disciples. I mean, you can tell how uncomfortable the disciples were from Peter's reaction. You know, oh, Lord, Lord, no, 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 don't do it. You know, and Peter, typical, right, foot and mouth. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you know, you have no part of me. Oh, then, Lord, don't just wash my feet. Wash me all over as well. <laughs> but in that context, he then gives this new commandment. He says, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. And one of the reasons I'm going to miss Ravi so much is because I think he, in many ways, demonstrated this. He was such a servant, you know, so willing to do what it takes, whatever it takes, no matter what the, you know, situation is and, and certainly... Now, mind you this, he didn't do it perfectly, but he did it faithfully. And I think, you know, as I reflected on um, his passing, one verse that kept coming up to me, which was repeated also when my dad passed, is actually found earlier in John 12, verse 24. When Jesus, talking about his own death, said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Our theme for the year is trust and obey. I didn't know why the Lord led us to this theme at the beginning of the year, but it's beginning to become clearer and clearer to me as it unfolds. That God is calling each and every one of us to trust and obey. Ravi, a year ago when I challenged him to come on board uh, to add strength to our staff team. He prayed about it, but ultimately he obeyed. <laughs> because Not because I called, but because he sensed it was God's call on his life. And it was a step of faith. He had to trust that God would provide. Now, I, Unfortunately, I mean, the way our pay scales work, you know, for people, especially if it's a second career and you come on board, you may find yourself having to make quite a bit of adjustments. But he put his trust in the Lord. And, you know, I was sharing with him as we worked according to the pay scales. I usually, he said, don't worry, Pastor. <laughs> you know, I'm sure the Lord will provide. He said, yes, I'm okay. I'm not going to quibble about <laughs> dollars and cents. And he willingly stepped forward. And I'm not saying this because I want to recruit all of you now to come on staff to replace Ravi. I think it'll take all of you to replace one <laughs> Ravi. <laughs> but I am saying this. As Ravi listened to the Lord and he heard God's clear call, he acted in faith. He trusted and he obeyed. And my hope and prayer is that, you know, as we've gone through this time, as we've confront our mortality as we face the reality that life is short. 
that we make a decision to be a people who will trust and who will obey. What is the Lord saying to us? I end on Revelation 21, verse 6. See, after all that He's unfolded, after God has spoken and pointed out, Behold, I'm making all things new. He says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I think, you know, Jesus who is speaking to the Apostle John is basically echoing what he did here on earth and what we see as the witness of Scripture. When Christ came to earth and he hung on that cross and in his final breath, he finally said, It is finished. He said, It's done. I've done everything to open that path for you to come back to the Father, to come back in relationship with God, to become sons and daughters. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I, what I have started, I will complete. And He gives this invitation. If you are thirsty, come. I will give you water. Spring of water, of life, for free. Like Jesus when He met that woman at the well. You know, and, and she was looking for physical water, but Jesus offered her a well that would never run dry. The true thirst that she had, Jesus said, I will quench. I am that source. Stop drinking from other wells. Stop looking for love in all the wrong places. Come to me, the object of true love. I pray that as a church, we would truly learn to love one another. But we can only learn to love one another in the way God loves us when we have received His love. And so in a moment, I'm going to make an invitation. I'm going to issue forth that invitation that Jesus Himself spoke. Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Let's come before the throne of grace. Asking the Lord to speak to us. Speak clearly, because Lord, we your servants are listening. And rather than me as the preacher telling you what to do or how to respond, I believe the Holy Spirit is here. And that He is speaking to your heart at this moment. For some of us, He's calling us back to Himself. Calling us back to a living, vital relationship with the Father. To drink deep from His wells. For others, maybe you've never even begun that relationship. Now's an opportunity for that. For others, maybe you are being reminded of a word that God had given you years ago, which you had 
at that point of time said, yes, Lord, but in the intervening years, you haven't let that word fall by the wayside. God is reminding you of that again. Whatever that word is, my challenge to you is to trust and obey. Let me pray for you before we I invite you to stand and sing this song. Speak, O Lord, again as an act of uh, dedication and of prayer. But let me pray as we lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for this timely reminder from your word of what our eternal destiny is, where our true life lies. Lord, forgive us because we have become so distracted by the things of this world. So many of us, Lord, seek satisfaction in things that cannot satisfy. We have drunk from broken cisterns and it's no wonder that we are thirsty. We have eaten spiritual junk food and it's no wonder we are hungry we have been spinning our wheels and running on the treadmill chasing after things that are not eternal it's no wonder we are weary and we hear your invitation right now Lord come to me all you who are weary and burdened I will give you rest Lord, we return to you. We come back to you again, afresh. Speak to us, Lord, for your servants are listening. We ask and pray this in your Son's most precious name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this chorus.